This copyrighted podcast is presented by the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council. The opinions and views shared by those of non-paid guests on the business of blueberries are those of our guests and do not represent the views, positions, or policies of the USHBC. The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the management, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. Today's episode is going to be quite a bit different from our usual content. We've talked about new growing systems on the show and new genetics that might impact where and how we can grow blueberries in the future, but nothing like what we're going to discuss today. It sounds futuristic to the point of almost science fiction, growing blueberries in vertical farms. The concept of vertical farming is not new. Companies like Aero Farms have been successfully growing leafy greens with these systems for several years, but I've never heard blueberries enter the conversation. It seems like there would be a big difference in growing a head of lettuce vertically from a full-on blueberry bush. So in March, when I read about the new strategic partnership between Aero Farms and Hortifruit involving the vertical production of blueberries, I wanted to learn more about this venture and where it might lead for the business of blueberries that we're all in. I also felt it safe to assume that some of you may have had questions and been curious as well. So we decided to make a show out of all those questions that we have on this project and how it came together, where it stands, and what it could mean going forward for Aero Farms and certainly Hortifruit. For today's episode, I'm here with our USHBC Chair of the Innovation and Tech Committee, Mr. Rod Cook. Rod, welcome back. How have you been? Been really well, thank you. Good Good to be back. Yes. Well, this is going to be a great show, Rod. I know we've talked about how insightful these tech episodes always are, and I know you're just as interested in today's topic as well. So would you like to jump in, get things started? You bet. Joining us today, we've got co-founder and CEO of vertical farming company, Aero Farms, Mr. David Rosenberg. David, we want to both thank you for taking the time with us on the business of blueberries. I've been following Aero Farms for quite actually a long time now. I, I had my first introduction to Aero Farms, oh gosh, 10, 12 years ago with Ed Harwood, shortly after he began marketing the sort of the aeroponic uh, system that he developed, or you guys developed. Uh, but there have been huge changes since that time, and I'm sure Aero Farm is might be new to a number of our listeners out there. So why don't you start things off with sort of an overview of Aero Farms? Yeah, great, great to be with you all today and happy to share a bit of our story and how we got into blueberries and why. But first, vertical farming. So we define vertical farming as layer upon layer of growing. We at Aero Farms, we grow without sun, without soil, which Plants don't need sun, they need spectrum of light at different intensities, frequencies, and we deliver what we think the plants want. They don't need soil, they need nutrients and micronutrients. So we really break down what a plant wants and deliver it in different ways. And the idea is we could grow plants on the equator, the North Pole, anywhere in the world, just so that everyone has access to fresh, great tasting produce, fruits, and vegetables any time of the year. And how do we do it without chemicals that are sometimes used like pesticides, herbicides, fungicides? We've been successful. I'm not philosophically against pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, but proud of the fact that we've been able to grow 
without any pesticides, herbicides, fungicides in about 550 different varieties. So what we at Aero Farms are really excellent at is starting with plant biology, understanding the best a plant could be, what a plant wants, and then how to deliver what a plant wants, whether it's mechanically, when I say mechanically, pumps, lights, frames, fans, that sort of thing, or changing the genetics or operationally, environmentally, and really using data science to pull a lot of things together. Again, with the uh, the goal of growing great plants in different parts of the world. We like to say we could grow anything. It doesn't mean we grow everything. So we want to understand what problems we should focus our time and attention in, what problems are we uniquely positioned to solve. Fantastic. Thanks for that background, David. You guys have been around a long time, and I think that's certainly one of the strengths that most people see in Aero Farms. You have built out, I guess, in the high-tech world, you could say relatively slowly because you've been around, what, 15, 17 years, something like that. But you are now making a huge amount of news in the ag tech investor notices, generating a number of successful rounds of investment, engaging in partnerships and mergers. Are there certain things that have changed dramatically in the last couple of years that's driven this this increase in momentum for you? It gets down to uh, getting our economics to a point where they make sense to scale. So we could always grow, or for a long time, we could grow a great plant, but historically, we weren't able to get the economics attractive enough. So now uh, we've more recently got the economics to a point where they're good, and we have a path to make them really good. And the big feature of that is LEDs. It's LEDs. Just think of how many more light-emitting diodes are in your home now versus five years ago. There are a lot more, and they're they're really everywhere because the cost structure has gone down. The operating costs have gone down, so it just make better sense. But then also, we're understanding plants. So in the field, it's really hard to conduct scientific experimentations because there are too many uncontrolled variables. The weather does what the weather does. So here in fully controlled agriculture, every time we grow a plant, we isolate a variable, test an assumption change temperature, humidity, pH, whatever it is, let's understand more plants. The benefit of starting with leafy greens is we have 26 crop turns a year at Aero Farms versus three in the field, approximately. Plants grow in a 30 to 40-day cycle, but in the field, because of seasonality, it equates to about three crop turns a year. We figured out, one, how to make a 30 to 40-day cycle into, on average, 14 days to really shorten the crop cycle just by giving the plant what it wants when. So that's how many days it's on our grow towers. And then additionally, because we control the seasonality, we're growing 365 days a year. So that equates to those 14 days, 26 crop turns. We call them 26 learnings a year. So we're constantly learning. And when I started with Ed, we were growing a plant in 22 days. So now taking the same seed, At the same maturity, we're growing that plant in 14 days, just learning what it wants to essentially, as funny as it sounds, eat, sleep, exercise. How it wants to do those things differently, we're able to, through, again, scientific experimentation, understand what a plant wants, what I would argue, unlock this mystery of plant science and plant biology, and then give the plant what it wants. And there's a tremendous amount of learning. And then once we have that learnings, we look at what are the correlations between a leafy green plant and other plants. So 
So we're spreading that to other plants like berries. And if we want to manipulate yield, sweetness, bitterness, pepperiness, whatever it is, some of that is relevant to berries, some of them less relevant, but how do we apply that know-how? And I think the number of different plants that we could grow in a cost-effective way is, is increasing so we could ultimately have a bigger and bigger impact on society. Well, let me jump in here because the plant we care most about is the blueberry plant and the blueberry bushes. And, and, and maybe, you know, you could talk a little bit about this most recent announcement to start researching blueberries as one of those and what led to the partnership between Arrow Farms and Hortifruit. And, you know, what did you see both horticulturally and then, of course, economically, as you're describing there, to think that maybe blueberries would be a fit for what we're talking about? Yeah, so we've grown to date about 70 different varieties of berries. So half the equation is genetics. So what are the right genetics to grow? And a lot of genetics are optimized on drought resistance, pest resistance, different features, features that we don't need to uh, concern ourselves too much. We got a good handle on drought resistance. So we want to optimize on other features of the plant. We work hard to get the right genetics, but then that's half the equation. Then it's kind of nature versus nurture. So that's nature. Then we're looking at the nurture side. So how do we nurture the plant the right way to bring out the best that plant could be? We've had some fantastic success with increasing yield, increasing bricks levels, like improving on texture, bringing out the best in a plant. So after doing that for a period of time, getting the economics right, so there's different things a plant wants. And the way we grow a berry is very different from how we grow a leafy green. What the plant wants from temperature, humidity, airflow, CO2, spectrum, intensity, frequency, nutrients, micronutrients, the automation around harvesting is different, pollination, extremely, like you don't have that in the figurines. So there are a lot of different problems to solve. And the problems at scale, solving those problems at scale are often different than solving them small. Well, I kind of want to dig in a little bit here on on kind of how you see kind of that agriculture moving forward and the part that Aero Farms is playing in developing close to market and, and vertical farming as uh, a future for agriculture. But before we dive deeper, let's take a quick break for our crop report. So things are in full swing, a number of growing regions here in full production. So here once again is your blueberry crop report. It's that time for your blueberry crop report, an update on crop conditions and markets from important blueberry growing areas. Today, you'll once again hear updates from Juan Soria in Mexico, Elizabeth Carranza in California, and Eric Staffney in Mississippi. This was recorded on June 9th, 2021. Good morning, everybody. This is uh, Juan Soria Morales from Aneberris. Now we are going to provide information for exports for week 22nd uh, for Mexico. This week, our volume has dropped again, around 20%. Uh, with, that is uh, 700,000 pounds less than the normal peak. For uh, week 22nd, we are exporting a total of 2,562,000 pounds to all the world. The season to date for Mexico has been great. We are having exported around 135 million pounds to all the world. For next week, we are expecting a more notorious decrease in our volumes, as I mentioned before, and we are expecting to reach 1,800,000 pounds 
exporter to all the world. Basically, that, those are our numbers for the last week. And as we, as we said before, we are just coming to an end. Thank you. Here in California, we're going into our um, expected final peak week of the season um, this week. As I mentioned last week, we've been having some issues getting labor to you know, help with harvest. So we adjusted our initial crop estimate down to 76 million pounds from the original 88 million pounds. Um, and we expect this could potentially even be lower. We weren't really sure yet, you know, what the implications are of this low labor source. So we do have a meeting later today. Hopefully we'll we'll have some more insight on that. I know they're um, using some more mechanical harvesting this season than they had anticipated. So I'd imagine that while there might be some loss, maybe some more of that. Um, what was expected to be fresh will go into the process side instead. So that's pretty much it on the labor front. In terms of pallets, I think there's still a pallet shortage going on here in California. And just in some conversations I've had with other states and, and other growers as well, it seems like it's not limited just to California either. So just a supply and demand labor shortage issue, um, but it's definitely becoming a problem here. On top of that, I think transportation has been an issue as well. So I think the whole supply chain has just been a little bit finicky for us here in California. Um, and I'd imagine other states as well, just from what I've heard. So um, we'll, we'll move forward and we'll keep, you know, harvesting what we can. But um, at this point, that's what we've got here in California. This is Eric Staffney from Mississippi State University giving the report from Mississippi and Louisiana. Rain returned late last week and into the weekend, causing a lot of split berries and necessitating the growers to go um, back out and clean that ruined fruit out. Uh, so far this spring, there's been a lot of fruit that's been lost or due to rains. Rabbit eye harvest is in full swing right now. Alapaha is about halfway done. So that gives you, Alapaha is an earlier variety. So we're gonna get through the early ones here uh, pretty soon and in, into the mid season varieties. It's really too early to tell on total crop volume. We've just had so much significant loss uh, and the, the rain has caused real negative impacts. And you know, growers are very reluctant to give me a number at this point. So um, we have no other concerns to report at this time. And that's my report. Well, thanks so much to our busy growers who take time to participate in these reports. As a reminder, you can go to the new USHBC website where you'll find our Data and Insight Center to see more data of what's happening in the blueberry industry. We've also made a snapshot view of the USDA data on production and price, an online resource for everyone to access easily and quickly. So please make sure you go to ushbc.org forward slash data to check that out. Well, and let me just ask David, you know, you talked about, you know, the studying of, of the plants and I liked your, you know, kind of metaphor of eat, sleep, exercise. Obviously in the case of blueberries, you're talking about a plant that's going to age over time. And so that the ability to really study vertical farming in the eat, sleep, exercise scenario that tends to make this a bit different you know, what experience are you seeing so far and, and how does it change when you're, you know, essentially growing this bush versus this cycle of lettuce that you're otherwise picking uh, over a quicker period of time? Just to expand on the metaphor a little bit, it's not only eat, sleep, exercise, but at different maturities of the plant. And I'd say it's more extreme in berries. So for example, just like an infant should have different habits of eat, sleep, exercise than a teenager versus an adult versus an elderly person. It's the same thing with plants. And I would, from what we're seeing, those differences in a berry plant are more meaningful than in a leafy green plant. So how do we understand it? How do we give the plant what it wants? All within a capital structure that's very different from a field farmer. 
So our cost of goods sold is very different. Our the setup costs are very different. So a big part of making the economics work for leafy greens is the utilization of light. So how do we utilize light is different in a small plant versus a big plant. And it's not just getting the plant, the light, the spectrum on the, on the berry, but also what types of spectrum. So we're innovating alongside of the innovation of a diode. So at AeroFarms, we, we actually develop our own light and we have a high-end light, a low-end uh, baseline light. We partnered with an Israeli company and lights, a, a Chinese group and lights. Uh, at AeroFarms, we're very collaborative and we have lots of different partners to solve problems. Uh, just a, an example on the tech side, we, we set up a system that could image every plant every day. We realized before we were taking representative sets of plants out of a tray of a tower, imaging it and putting it back. And it was just sort of cumbersome. We realized this is really beyond our core competence. So who should we partner with? We put together a partnership with Bell Labs, a great innovator of our country. And we had 18 engineers from Bell Labs work with us on an imaging system to image every plant every day. We're rolling this out into our next commercial farm in Virginia. But here, and we put something together where like business-wise, we control the IP from indoor farming and they use it in telecommunication and other places. And the point is we're often able to find win-wins with our partners where it benefits us and it benefits them. And in, in berries, some of these technology components are, are really meaningful, especially like the automation is very different in berries, uh, the, the movement between small plants and older plants and, and harvesting. Just as an example, in harvesting, in leafy greens, it's a sheer cut. Here, it's a pruning. You have these fundamental design questions. Does the berry go to the harvester or the harvester goes to the berry? And then in soft touch, well, di different robotics, which we are not a great robotics company. Here's another area. We partner with others to, to integrate robotics where appropriate. We actually don't use much robotics. It's more automation or more elements of automation. But the point is, like, who do we partner with to get an expertise? How do we partner with them? to accelerate here. We're not a genetics company. We have geneticists on our team, but we want to partner with people that have the right genetics for what we're looking for. And here too, Hortifruit has some genetics that really fit well with what our ambitions were. Well, let me just ask, if you forecast 10 years from now, you know, with companies like yourself, you, you and others who see you know, the close to market indoor greenhouse farming as part of that regionalization of food sourcing that gets talked a lot about both in consumer land, but also when you're, when you're talking about agriculture generally, what would you predict that's going to look like from your perspective? And then might I just dig a little deeper and ask, how do you see that looking for blueberries 10 years from now? I think there's a place, an important place for field farming, for greenhouse farming, for vertical farming. And we have to be smart society about what problems we want to solve, where, what plants we should saw, we should grow, what parts of the world, with what systems. I truly hope there are ways we figure out how to grow plants that are beneficial to the field farmers. We've done it before. I think we'll do it again. And uh, I think just like field farmers help us, I think we could help field farmers. And there's a lot of ways we, we can work together to uh, to solve problems and grow better plants for people. Yeah, what's what's a good example of that? I mean, where have you seen the intersection of of one teaching the other? One is optimizing genetics. So the genetics we're optimizing, I would argue that we could speed up innovation cycles in our system. We've we've done it. Uh, we work with some field farmers to optimize genetics. I, I think 
a lot of genetics work should be done on our platform and we welcome the opportunity to grow with a lot of people to optimize genetics on our platform. Uh, I think a lot of people over irrigate their plants. Here, we, we just are, are learning what's the right amount of water for a plant. And, and sometimes policy doesn't help. In some areas you have a use it or lose it set of policies. Some areas you have like flood irrigation because just water is not charged per gallon. It's more by acre. Uh, sometimes it's just a lack of understanding. Sometimes the policy doesn't support the incentives for behavior, but but it really is a problem that needs a multifaceted approach between private sector, public sector of putting these solutions together. And I think we have and will continue to, to play a role in helping um, different sides achieve goals. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here for our marketing boost. We'll be right back to this conversation in a moment. But for now, here's USHBC NABC Vice President of Marketing and Communication, Jennifer Sparks. Thank you, Casey. It might still be June, but July is just around the corner, and that means National Blueberry Month. Think about it. The blueberry industry has its own month, and we're not going to waste a minute taking advantage of this opportunity to shout blueberries from the hilltops even more than usual. USHBC is hard at work with lots of plans to create enthusiasm for the summer's most beloved fruit, with the ultimate goal of driving demand. How? America's Best Blueberry Pie Contest setting a new world record on the highest pancake stack, using social media, digital advertising, and health professionals to reach new audiences, tantalizing recipes and food hacks that share new and different ideas for eating blueberries. These are just a few of the strategies and tactics USHBC is putting into action next month to keep blueberries on consumers' radar and encourage everyday use. But that's not all. You can get in on the action too and create fun educational opportunities for your customers and get them thinking all things blueberry. We make it easy for you. Just check out our new National Blueberry Month Toolkit at ushbc.org toolkits. There, you'll find social media content, digital ads, a consumer tip sheet, summer recipes, and mouth-watering photography and more, all right at your fingertips. It's not too soon to get started planning how you can capitalize on National Blueberry Month. Ready, set, go. This has been your Marketing Boost. Thank you for your partnership, as together we inspire the world to grab a boost of blue. Back to you, Casey. Thanks, Jenny. Back to today's episode with David Rosenberg. I think it's a good point you make, David, about looking at what the plant takes. And, uh, you know, it's just all too easy for for us to go out to the internet and look at the pretty pictures of your large facilities with all those leafy greens and kind of shake our head and go, well, there's no way a blueberry is going to live in that little bed and with those lights so close and things like that. So I think your your point being that Aero Farms is so much more than what you might see in a in a aeroponic leafy green bed and the amount of science you guys are putting into it is is pretty awesome so congratulations on that thank you i mean to build on that we refer to our system as a platform and within that platform again thinking of the biological the operational the environmental the genetics the data science and data collection basically the digitization of the farm within that platform where can we be more meaningful while leafy greens was our beachhead, there's other applications to the platform like blueberries. And what I'm happy about is there are correlations between very different plants. So if we want to increase shelf life, there are certain levers 
we could take to stress a plant to increase shelf life. And if we want to increase sugar content, the ways the phytochemistry of a plant moves, here too, there are certain levers that we could pull. Sometimes they're inversely correlated. Sometimes they're very correlated, even between leafy greens and and berries. So this is, to me, it's like, what's the Rosetta Stone that unlocks all these mysteries of how the plants are operating and, and how do we make sense and what are the commonalities? Where's the common learning? How, how could we advance science? How could we advance biology? How could we advance agriculture and farming? That, that's what's fun. One of the questions that always had come up previously with especially, you know, things like berry crops uh, other than strawberry, perhaps, is that, you know, with leafy greens, you do have this very short, you can really drive very, very short turnarounds of a harvestable crop. So getting back to that economics, but with most berry crops, growing that plant from inception, be it from a TC plug or whatever, all the way through to a bearing level just takes so much time. And yet your capital costs are pretty large when you enter into these things. And apparently you guys have quite a bit of confidence so you can make you can make those numbers work though, right? Like I said, we like to say we could grow anything. It doesn't mean we grow everything. So what plants should we solve? And we, I mean, obviously one of the big ones is can we make money, not just solve a problem, but can we, can, are the economics, does it warrant the investment is the squeeze worth the juice, so to say. And we, so we believe with berries, we believe the economics are there. Uh, we wouldn't be putting in all this time and attention if we didn't. And then part of it is so if the, the value propositions, let's say in general, any product, you have better, faster, cheaper, but where do we want to compete? So faster in terms of faster to market, that's usually one of them. And we think we could compete on better often. And we emphasize quality. We're not competing on cost. Right now, in the crops that we grow, we're selling at the same price as the field farmer in the category of organics. Organics in the U.S. carries about a 20% premium, let's say, over non-organics. And we've been able to like to hit that mark and make money. We think we have that in berries. We have to scale up our solutions. So back to my earlier point, one, one thing I found is there's some unintuitive issues of scale. So we grow berries in facilities of a certain size, and we've been growing them for three years. Like I said, 70 different varieties. And then from that, we map out what our understanding of the economics are at scale. And right now, it looks like those economics work. Until we build it out at scale and see what the surprises are, of course, correct. We'll see if we're right or if we're wrong. We're fortunate that we have investors that are willing to kind of look at some of our history of success, make some bets with us, and we're, we're optimistic. Our science team, our engineering team, our growing team is optimistic we'll get there, but we got to prove it. Fascinating. I mean, I, I, you know, when we, especially like I said at the top of the show, where, where you're reading about uh, a partnership like this and knowing, you know, this type of innovation has come a long way. It's great to hear your enthusiasm for, you know, what you've said. You, you can grow any plant, but you're not going to grow every plant. And so just to hear where you're venturing into blueberries, uh, I know is going to be fascinating for every one of us to be kind of following along with your story and learning, learning more and more about it. Yeah, thank you. And, and one thing that's interesting, like the blueberry industry did a great job positioning themselves as a healthy product. 
So you think of antioxidants, you think of blueberries. And I think there is a lot of learning that comes from that, whether it's blueberries or other other crops, because like that's like where there are these opportunities. That's we we see opportunities of emphasizing and connecting with consumers. So the blueberry industry, again, I'm sure purposefully did, did a great job there. Well, I really enjoyed this conversation, Rod. Uh, you know, I, I found a lot of where they're headed to be pretty fascinating and futuristic and, and interesting to hear it firsthand from David here. But what were some of your key takeaways from our conversation today? Well, you know, when I first read about the partnership, I thought, like probably a lot of people did, wait a second, uh, aeroponics and blueberries, this this just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. The the blueberry root zone is such a, a unique plant. It's it's such a unique species. But you know, as David walked through and continued the discussion of science and how thoroughly they do take these steps, they've got real ag people on staff, unlike many of the new startups do. I began to see that they. They do have a plan. They do have a really good business model to look at that does not exclude alternative forms of growing beyond simply what, how they're doing green plants. And so that it's an interesting deal. It's not going to happen overnight. There is a huge amount of issues to solve with blueberry. Uh, I mean, some of these things, you think of strawberry, more people are doing strawberry than anything else. I've been involved enough with strawberry and growing in greenhouses and, and vertical farming. And believe me, it's not easy. And, and that's way easier than blueberries going to be. So, you know, the fact that they have partnered with Hortifruit and Hortifruit has a huge reservoir of skill and technology and genetic programs working for them. Uh, that's all really positive for taking that side to helping them. As David said, they really like to partner with people who sort of are the industry leaders within those categories. And so that whole thing makes sense. Again, though, I think for most of our listeners, is it going to impact your farm? Is it going to impact your local operation today? Certainly not in the future. It's a ways out there. But this kind of technology, this kind of uh, farming I do believe is going to be a, a significant part of the future of agriculture. Well, I guess one of the, my takeaways is, well, there's a couple of things. One was how much he said, half of it's genetics, right? So, how, you know, and just how they're going to come at that perfect plant approach that they recognize that pulling it out of a field and just, that's not, that's not their approach. It's, so that's going to be something fascinating to watch, just how much this project intersects with the future of blueberry genetics. Uh, and that's, I think, part of what he was saying, that that collaboration that can go back to the field farmers will be interesting to see develop even as they uh, move this project forward with Hortifruit. Um, but the other thing was, he said something along the line, is the squeeze worth the juice? And uh, I, I appreciated him saying that, not just on the economics of this project, but, you know, what, what is this going to taste like? I mean, if you're, if you're talking to people who we've spoken to on this podcast and just in this business, generally speaking, like there's a big push towards quality. And, and of course, like, we're, we're not growing necessarily for juice, but we're growing for that flavor, that taste, that experience. And what are these berries going to taste like? And 
are they able to manipulate that in a way that brings the consumer even more, getting more excited about blueberries? So something to, to watch there as well. Well, I, again, really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, it's hard to believe, Rod, that we're at episode 51. So one week away from a, uh, an anniversary here. Um, but I do think we're getting some great feedback from our listener survey. So I don't know if you've taken your listener survey, Rod. Um, but Yes, I have. I, Okay. (laughs) But we do hope that people will take time to help us vision and envision our second season of this show as we go into uh, some of the creative thinking about where we've been with a full year of the business of blueberries, where we should take things next, and certainly already starting to get some great feedback from people who have taken that survey. So if you haven't, please do so. Take a moment to fill out our listener survey. This type of content is in part driven by our audience's interests. And of course, it is about blueberries, but it's specifically uh, what is it that brings you to our show in and every week. And Rod, you probably are aware that tech and innovation episodes have been extremely popular, both in our survey and in in our analytics. So if you do get a chance please fill out that survey. It'll take you, it's in the show notes. It'll take you a few minutes and you'll be entered in to win a business of blueberries Yeti. Well, that's it for episode 51. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family, and hard work right here on the business of blueberries. What percent of of blueberries do you envision vertically grown, you know, in a ten year period by, by the end of ten years? Ten years from now, I'm not going to venture a guess. Oh, okay, uh, I mean, we, we need to walk before we run. <laughs> there you go. And we're still at, we're still walking. Well, and I can appreciate that too. But just thought we'd throw it out there. 